Welcome to Healing Place Church, where our mission is to be a healing place for a hurting world. We hope to enrich your life through reaching, serving, giving, and building. As you listen to this teaching, be inspired to fulfill your God-given destiny through the power of His Word. Well, you know, like Pastor Mike said, uh, I'm the worship pastor here at HPC, and uh, I know you guys are probably more used to seeing me up here singing, and uh, that makes two of us. I'm, I'm more used to seeing me up here singing as well, but uh, excited about the opportunity tonight just to share with you uh, from, God's, from God's Word. And, uh, you know, my wife, Danielle, and I, we started coming to Healing Place. Danielle, would you wave to everybody? just want to take a second to recognize her, too. She's one of, she's one of our worship leaders. And uh, just an incredible wife and mom. But, uh, you know, we started coming to Healing Place back in the summer of 2001. And I'll never forget, it was a Wednesday night service. And so we came into church, and, man, it was so alive. You know, there was just such a real presence of God and uh, just life and energy and expectation. And it just blew me away. And I knew that that was a place that I wanted to be a part of. And it's just been an amazing journey. But, you know, one of the things I love about Healing Place is that God has given us a vision outside of the four walls of our church. He's given us a heart for the world, and he's given us a heart for our community. But as a worship pastor, uh, you know, I want to see not just the way that we serve go beyond the four walls of the church, but the way that we worship as well, and that we live a life of worship. And that's really what I wanted to talk about tonight is just living a life of worship. You know, I love Sundays and Wednesdays. I love it as much as anybody, coming in to God's house, celebrating together everything that God has done for us. But, uh, you know, there's just something about living a life of worship. You know, uh, it's kind of like an iceberg. Um, you know, that's the part, that corporate worship, that's the part that everybody sees, you know. That's the part that's outside of the water. But in the life of a true worshiper, there's so much more that's going on beneath the surface. Amen. A while back, I was riding with my daughter in the truck, and uh, we just got in the car, and I hadn't buckled my seatbelt yet, and I told her, she's my youngest, I said, Mia, you need to buckle your seatbelt. And she looked at me, she said, Dad, you haven't buckled your seatbelt. She said, you're, you're being a hypnotist, is what she told me. <laughs> and, you know, I think about that, I, when it comes to my worship, I don't want to be a hypnotist. <laughs> I want to live the same thing that I'm singing on Sunday, on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. I love what, it, what Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verses 1. This is a great setup. He says, and so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. And, uh, you know, Paul's talking about giving ourselves as a living sacrifice. That means everything that we are, everything that we say, everything that we do, everything that we think, placing that before God as an offering of worship. I love the same verse. Check it out in the Message Bible. This is so good. It says, so here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for him. Isn't that so good? Talking about worshiping God in everyday life, everyday 
ordinary life. And, you know, whenever, uh, you know, whenever you have the heart of a worshiper, I believe you worship God even whenever you're not trying to. It's something that just overflows from your life. You know, when you're at home, you're watching TV, and something comes on that you shouldn't see and you change the channel, that's an act of worship because you know what? That's coming from a heart that wants to please God. You know, that's coming from a heart that does not want to grieve the Holy Spirit inside of you. You know, when somebody treats you unkindly at work and you return that with kindness, you know, that's an act of worship. Whenever you come home from work and you're tired and you do the dishes for your spouse or, or, uh, you know, you cook dinner for your spouse so that they don't have to and you prefer them, you know, that's an act of worship. All these ways are ways that we worship God that maybe we don't always think about. And, um, you know, tonight I wanted to look at one of my favorite worshipers in the Bible. I want to look at King David. You know, King David, he was, a, uh, he was an incredible warrior and a leader. He, he was a skilled musician. The Bible says, you know, he wrote almost, uh, ha, you know, he wrote over half of the Psalms. And, uh, you know, just, a, just an incredible worshiper. The Bible says that he was a man after God's own heart. He was a man after God's own heart. And we know about David's failure. He had some failure, but he had some amazing successes as well, you know, but I'm so thankful that God, he doesn't judge us by our best moment. He doesn't judge us by our worst moment, but he looks at the entirety of our life and he judges our heart. And the Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. And so I want to look at his life and how he lived out a life of worship. And the first way that David did this was through his obedience. David lived out uh, a life of obedience. And, you know, for me, obedience, it's one of the highest forms of worship, man, because obedience is where the rubber meets the road. You know, you're surrendering your will and what you want to God's will and what he wants. And, uh, you know, this past Sunday, I was thinking, we sang, I surrender all. It's a whole lot easier to sing, I surrender all, than it is to live that out and to walk that out. And uh, in John chapter 14, verses 15, Jesus says, If you love me, obey my commandments. If you love me, obey my commandments. And, uh, you know, isn't this what worship is really all about? You know, expressing love, expressing adoration for God. And, And Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. And David, he walked in obedience. I was looking at his life. You know, all throughout the Bible, when David, whenever he encountered a battle, he would ask the Lord, what should I do? Is this a battle I should fight or should I sit this one out? And depending on what God told him, that's what he would do. You know, at the end of David's life, he wanted to build God a temple. He wanted to build a temple, but God had told David, he said, you've got too much blood on your hands. I want, da- I want your son Solomon to build the temple. And so David, he yielded to God's will, and he let Solomon build the temple. Even to his earthly father, David walked in obedience. Uh, if you remember, his father Jesse had sent him out to bring his brothers some food out on the battlefield, and that act of obedience, it led to one of the greatest victories in David's life whenever he defeated uh, Goliath. I love what David says in Psalms chapter 40, verse 8. He says, I take joy in doing your will, my God, for your instructions are written on my heart. You know, David got it. David walked in joyful obedience. You know, it's not about routines and rituals and checking boxes. God wants our joyful obedience. You know, he delighted in doing God's will. He delighted. He said, God, your instructions are written upon my heart. And this is one of the biggest differences between David and King Saul who came before him. And one of the reasons why God removed Saul and put David as king in his place. You know, if you remember... When Saul became king, 
God had commanded Saul to take out the Amalekites, and he wanted them to wipe them out completely. He was bringing judgment upon the Amalekites. And so he had told him, he said, I, every person, every animal, all the livestock, I want it all gone. But Saul, because of his fear of the people, the Bible says, he didn't, he didn't follow through with God's command. And so Samuel, the prophet, he gets wind of this, and he goes to confront Saul about his disobedience. And this is what he says in 1 Samuel 15, verse 22. He says, what is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice, and submission is is better than the offering, the fat of rams. Rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft, and stubbornness as bad as worshiping idols. So because you have rejected the command of the Lord. He has rejected you as king. You know, here's the deal. Saul, he courted the hearts of men, but David, he courted the heart of God. And um, if you're going to be a true worshiper, you're going to have to be okay with not everybody, not, not, not always going along with everybody else thinks, you know. It, you don't have to look very far in the world that we live in to see that it is in complete opposition to God's word, you know. You're going to have to be to go against culture in order to walk in obedience with God's word. Uh, a few years ago, it's, it seems like yesterday, but it was actually a few years back. My daughters, they were a lot younger at this time, but... Um, my wife, Danielle, and I, we'd taken her to Blue Bayou, this water park up the road. And so we're, we, we had ridden some slides, we'd done some rides, and we were going to go hop in the Lazy River. And that's my favorite part of any water park. I just stay there the whole time. But we went to go get in the Lazy River, and as we're standing in line, some of the guys that went in ahead of us, I think the water was a little bit colder than they were ready for. And so, man, they started saying some words. They started saying every word in the book, started cursing, started taking God's name in vain. I mean, it was just, you know, they, they, they were going off. And so my, my daughters were there, and they, they were a lot younger. And so I kneeled down, and I was talking to them, I, and, and I was asking them. I said, y'all want to go get some ice cream out of this? I'm trying to get their, their minds off of what, what's happening around them. You guys, you know, what, what slide you want to go ride next? And, and so as I'm talking to them, I hear somebody else in line, and they said, uh, they said, hey, you watch your mouth, and you watch what you say about my God. And so I thought, and, you know, I'm in line. I was like, uh, I was like, thank you. You know, finally, finally somebody's going to say something to these guys. And then I realized it was my wife, Danielle. <laughs> yep. Yep. And I don't, <laughs> I don't know for any of the guys, I don't know if y'all's wives have ever gotten y'all into like a situation before. Um, man, I thought it was about to go down right there in the blue bayou. Man, when you go in the lazy river, it's not like you like going away from these people. You kind of like floating next to them for the next 15 minutes till you can get out again. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, luckily everything, everything ended up being all right. I think they probably saw me and thought, thought better of doing it. They was actually probably more scared of, of Danielle, if I'm, if I'm honest. But, um, but, you know, I, I tell that story, and let me say, Danielle, she's one of the sweetest, most compassionate people. I had to get permission to tell that story. But um, she really is. She's the best. But, you know, I tell, that, I tell that story because we're not like everybody else. I tell my kids all the time, it's okay. We're different, you know. We're, we're not of this world, and it's okay if, we live, if, if, if everybody's not okay with, with what we do because we're living according to God's word, and that's the obedience that we're walking according to. Amen. 
You know, the next thing that David, how he worshiped, he worshiped through his obedience, and then he worshiped with his passion. You know, David, he was a passionate, expressive worshiper. You know, if you, if you read the Psalms, they're full of passion. And the way that David, the way that he lived his life, and then, you know, the way that he expressed himself in worship, and we'll look at that in a minute. But uh, David, he was a passionate worshiper. And l- let me just say this to the men here, because sometimes I know worship sometimes, being, it, it can feel like not the most manly thing to do to express yourself in worship, you know, to sing or to dance and clap your hands, raise your hands. But let me tell you, it didn't get more manly than David. David was a manly man. I mean, he's out here killing giants. He's killing lions and bears with his bare hands. And so, guys, it is okay for us to lead in the area of worship. I don't think we get to sit this one out. I feel like, men, we have to lead our families and lead our churches in being expressive in our worship. Amen. Because love, it's not something that you just feel. It's something that is expressed. It can't just stop at feelings. It's got to go to a place of expression where, where you, you're expressing the thoughts and the feelings that are in your heart. Amen. A while back, Danielle and I, we went to New York for the first time a couple of years ago. And we were in this restaurant, and it was a little Italian restaurant. It was so good. We were having a great dinner, and it got time for dessert. And I, I love food, and I love dessert, and I love this, especially this dessert. It's called tiramisu. I don't know if any of you guys have had that before. But I saw that it was on their menu when we got there, and so I knew I was going to have some of that. And so our waiter came around, and I'm one of these people, I like to ask waiters questions. I don't know if anybody else will ask the waiter. It's not like they will t- can not tell you, you know, the truth. I mean, they've kind of got a little bit on the line there, but I'll still ask anyway. And I asked this waiter, I said, um, I said, hey, how would your tiramisu? And he said, just like this, he said, It's amazing. And I was like, I looked at Danielle, I was like, that's kind of weird. And I, I, I said, I'm sorry. He said, uh, it's amazing. It's amazing. And so I was like, well, I was, was going to order it anyway. You're not really selling it, so I'll go ahead and have some. So he brought it out, and it was the best tiramisu that I've ever had in my life. It was so good. It was incredible. I thought about it afterwards, you know. This guy, he knew that that tiramisu was amazing. He believed that the tiramisu was amazing, but he did not express that it was amazing. And sometimes it can be like that in our worship. You know, we believe that God is worthy. We believe that he's incredible and that he's worthy of all the praise. But for whatever reason, we don't express it. And we've got to get to the place where we express the, what we believe and know about God in our heart. Amen. You know, there, there's a story I wanted to, 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 to tell you, and I'm sure most of you are familiar with it, but it's in 2 Samuel chapter 6. And what had happened, the, the Ark of the Covenant had been, had been taken away, and so David, he was bringing the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. And so they, they're trying to bring this back, and the first time it didn't go so well because they're bringing it back, and they just loaded it onto a cart, okay? And as they're going, it, 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 it starts to fall, and a man named Uzzah reaches out to stabilize the cart. And when he does, God strikes him dead because no one was supposed to touch it. So what they do is they go back to square one. They research exactly how they're supposed to do this. And what's supposed to happen is it's supposed to be carried by Levites, and they're supposed to carry it on poles, and they're supposed to make a sacrifice every six steps. But this was a six-mile journey into Jerusalem. I mean, they had to go a long way. And so when they finally get the ark to Jerusalem, man, there is a massive celebration. And check out, check out what David does. This is 2 Samuel chapter 6, verses 14. 
And it says, and David danced before the Lord with all his might, wearing a priestly garment, which is basically his underwear. And it says, so David and all the people of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts of joy and the blowing of ram's horns. But as the ark of the Lord entered the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked down from her window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she was filled with contempt for him. And so Michael, David's wife, Saul's daughter, she didn't like this expression of worship at all. She did not approve. But listen what David tells her whenever he gets home later on. 2 Samuel 6, verses 20. It says, when David returned home to bless his own family, Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet him. And she said and discussed how distinguished the king of Israel looked today shamelessly exposing himself to the servant girls like any vocal person might do. And David retorted to Michael, I was dancing before the Lord who chose me above your father and all his family. He appointed me as the leader of Israel, the people of the Lord, so I celebrate before the Lord. Yes, and I am willing to look even more foolish than this, even to be humiliated in my own eyes. But those servant girls you mentioned will indeed think I am distinguished. So Michael, the daughter of Saul, remained childless throughout her entire life. You know, David, he did not hold back at all. I mean, he, he told her exactly what was up. And, you know, he, here's what, what happened with Michael, and here's where she missed it, okay? So the first thing, just like we talked about a little while ago, Michael was worried about what everybody else thought. And when it comes to your worship, it doesn't matter what everybody else thinks because worship is for God, and it's between you and him. It doesn't matter what your voice sounds like. It doesn't matter how you raise your hands because your worship is an offering for God. And so she was too worried about what everybody else thought. And then the second thing is she did not have the context of the journey. They had just walked six miles, sacrificing every six steps. And so she didn't understand that expression of worship because she wasn't on the journey to get there, to understand what they had went through. And here's the danger that we can fall into sometimes as Christians is we judge somebody else's expression of worship without knowing their story and the things that they've walked through to get there. You know, not, not understanding the things that God has saved them from and that he's delivered them from. I think about uh, the lady with the alabaster box who poured out the perfume upon the feet of Jesus. You know, she goes to Simon the Pharisee's house where Jesus was. And she busts up in there uninvited, unannounced, and she pours out this perfume upon the feet of Jesus. And, uh, you know, the Pharisees, they didn't like it at all. They did not approve. And neither, you know, the disciples even, they were uncomfortable with it. Nobody knew what to do with this lady's act of worship. But Jesus, he perceives this. He knows their thoughts. And he tells him, you see this woman, he who has been forgiven much, loves much. But he who has been forgiven little, loves little. You know, the, this woman, she worshiped the way that she did because of everything that she had been saved from and set free from. The Bible says that she was a sinful woman. And the truth of the matter is, is that all of us, every one of us have been forgiven much. You know, none of us have been forgiven little. And I believe when we have an appreciation and an understanding of what God has saved us from and set us free from, it'll be reflected in the passion of our worship. Amen. 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 And so David he worships God in his obedience. He worships God in his passion. And he worships God in his devotion. You know, throughout every season of David's life, he worshiped. You know, I was thinking when he was just a shepherd boy and nobody out in the fields with his harp, he's out there worshiping God, singing songs, just him and the Lord.
And then he becomes anointed king, and he's awaiting. He's waiting for the, the promise of, of God to be fulfilled for his life, even running for his life from King Saul, who was trying to kill him. He's writing psalms in caves. And, and even in that season of his life, David worships. And then, he's, and then he becomes king. He experiences success. He's on the mountaintop, and he worships. He worships then. And, of course, we know that David, he fell into sin with Bathsheba. And, um, and, you know, it was brought to his attention, the sin in his life. And he repents, and he turns to God. David didn't run from God. He ran to God. I love Psalms chapter 51. It's one of my favorite Psalms. He says, create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a right spirit within me. Even in his season of failure, David returns to God and returns to worship. And then um, in tragedy, you know, even in tragedy, uh, as a consequence, because there's forgiveness for sins, but sin still has consequences. And as a consequence of David's sin, God had told him that his child that he had conceived with Bathsheba, that Bathsheba had conceived, that this child would die. And sure enough, the child gets sick. And so David, he fasts and prays for seven days that this child will be healed. That's all he does. And, and sure enough, uh, the child ends up dying. But look at his response in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 19 and 20. It says, but when God saw that his servants were whispering together, but when David saw that his servants were whispering together, David understood that the child was dead. And David said to his servants, is the child dead? And they said, he is dead. And then David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself, changed his clothes, and he went into the house of the Lord, and he worshiped. Even in his darkest moment, I can't imagine losing a child, how tough that might be. But even in that moment, David chose to worship. You know, he didn't always feel like it in all these different seasons. He's just like us. He's a human. He didn't feel like worshiping all the time, but he rose above his feelings and his emotions, and he chose to worship. You know, he rose above his preferences. And, you know, sometimes, you, you know, you wake up and you don't feel like it. You know, you don't feel like worshiping. I love what David tells himself, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. You know, you may come to church and we're not singing your favorite songs that day. You know, I don't even like all the songs that we sing sometimes, and I'll pick them. <laughs> but David, he still chose to worship. You know, he rose above his feelings and his emotions to a place of worship because the worthiness of God never changes. Circumstances change, seasons change, but the worthiness of God, it never changes. Amen. Now, I wanted to end tonight just kind of sharing a personal story, kind of a, a, a front row look that I've had on a life of worship. In the band, you guys can go ahead and come out. But, you know, I've watched my dad live out a life of worship. And, um, you know, when we were kids, I remember he, he would come and pick up me and my sister from school. He had this little Isuzu truck, and um, he didn't have an air condition. It wasn't broke. I don't think the truck came with one. So he didn't have air condition. He didn't have a radio, I don't believe. Um, and so he would just roll down his windows, man, and he would sing worship songs. He would just always sing worship songs. Every time we were in the car with him, it was just something that was always happening. I remember one time we were on Airline Highway in front of Hammond Air Mall, and uh, we're, we're there, and he's at a stoplight, and he's just singing, you know, like he did, worship songs. And as he's singing, there's a lady that starts, like, joining in with him at the stoplight singing. 
As a kid, I'm like, man, I asked him, I said, do you know her? He said, I have no idea who that is, you know. But they were having church. But as a kid, just seeing that and seeing that, man, it's not a show. This wasn't a front. This is just a life lived in, in worship and love with the Lord every day. Doesn't matter, you know, Sunday, Wednesday, what. He would just always worship. And now that I'm a dad and I look back on that example that he set for me and the impact that it had on my life, how much more I want to set that example for my kids because I know they see me on stage every week, you know, singing. But I would, I would pray that that would never be the extent of my worship, that they would see me at home living in the way that I act, the way that I speak, the way that I treat their mom, that I would always live a life of worship before them. Thank you for listening. For more information about Healing Place Church, go to healingplacechurch.org. Or give us a call at 225-753-2273.